What does it take to become a truly great marketer? How do you learn the skills you need to serve your clients in a way that helps them grow? And when do you step away from the role of copywriter and take on the title and role of an entrepreneur? Our guest for today's episode of the Copywriter Club podcast is expert marketer Todd Brown. And over the past decade and a half, Todd has become the go-to expert for creating flourishing direct response businesses. Todd is one of our mentors, and we've learned a ton from him and his team. And every time we talk to him or someone on his team, we walk away with ideas and insights to implement in our business. What he shared in this interview will do the same for you. It's a little bit longer than our usual podcast, but Todd shared so many good insights that you do not want to skip this episode. This episode is sponsored by a new offer, a massive, massive swipe file created by Todd Brown and his team. So it's a multi-volume printed collection of sales letters from the best copywriters in the world. And it's an incredible resource packed with ideas for offers, for upsells, and more. I have my own collection parked right next to my desk. I use it to write sales pages for the Copywriter Club and for my clients. And this massive swipe file is only available for a limited time because it's truly limited. There are only 250 copies that have been printed. So when they run out, they run out. And at the end of this conversation with Todd, Todd does talk about what this swipe file includes. So if you are interested in adding like one of the best swipe files to your toolbox, make sure you stay till the end of the episode to hear all the details about what it includes and definitely move quickly if you are interested, because again, there are only 250 copies. We will include um, the link in the show notes. Okay, let's jump into the interview with Todd. How did you end up as the Todd Brown? How did you get here? I I mean, first of all, I don't know if I would say I'm the Todd, I'm the anything. Uh, let me be crystal clear about that. Uh, but so it was interesting because so I, first of all, I, I knew nothing about marketing, selling. I really, I, I never liked selling. Uh, I was never really good at selling, but I was working for a health club company in central New Jersey. And through good luck, I guess I was promoted in this company. This company, they, they owned health clubs in New Jersey that were all about 40,000 square foot. So these big facilities, really kind of um, beautiful architecture, like they did something really special um, back then. And the company was, was growing very quickly. Actually, an interesting little gem was the owner of the company. I like to say that he was like my Steve Jobs. He was brutal to work for, but I learned so much. I don't believe that I would be where I am today if it wasn't for the experience, seeing how this guy looked at the numbers and was relentless with production and all that. Anyway, what was interesting was that he was one of the first people prior to the gym business. He was one of the first people to uh, to lease computers. This was when computers were expensive and big companies would lease them. And so he was leasing companies to like Avis Rental and like all the airports and whatnot. And so he sold the company for like 30 some odd million dollars. The company that purchased it from him and a, a company based out of Italy ran it into the ground in 12 months. Crazy, right? Uh, he then was able to reacquire the team without having to buy it back 
built it up again and sold it for another 20 some odd million dollars. So like he took that kind of very business savvy, you know, a, a, a aggressive kind of mindset, brought it to the health club industry. So I'm now working for this health club, started out making $8 and 50 cents an hour. I graduated from college. <laughs> I graduated from college with a degree in nutrition. And then I ended up making $8 and 50 cents an hour working for this company. Uh, and through good luck was promoted and eventually was made VP of the training department, the personal training department. So now at this time I had several facilities, uh, a team eventually of like 75 trainers, seven managers, two directors, and uh, and we're selling personal training. And I ended up getting this postcard in the mail, this oversized postcard, all yellow, black text, front to back with, you know, what I know today is copy. Never saw anything like this in my life, right? Was like, what is this? But they were offering a home study course on how to market and sell personal training services. It was really designed for like the independent trainer. But I was like, man, this sounds awesome. I don't know what the heck I'm doing here. Like I'm winging it. And so I went to my boss. It was like a few hundred dollars. I'm like, hey, is it cool if I expense this? And he was like, yeah. So I got this thing um, in the mail, just gigantic to show you how long ago this, this was. This is going to date me a bit, but to show you how long ago this was. So this thing showed up. It's uh like two three ring binders it's got cassette tapes um it's got like a diskette like this this whole thing like this right this i become enamored this is my first introduction to direct response marketing to long form copy i never knew anything about it i thought that like advertising marketing same thing i thought it was like home depot pepsi you know like that that sort of stuff i became enamored blown away dove into this thing couldn't get enough of it Ended up ironically picking up the phone, calling the creator of the thing. Somehow I tracked him down, called the creator of the thing and said, who did you learn from? Right. He says he mentions these two names, Gary Halbert and Dan Kennedy. That became the never ending pursuit of everything that I could get my hands on from those guys. Of course, in the spirit of transparency, I probably should write Dan a, a very large, an additional very large check at some point since I bought everything off of eBay. <laughs> So like every, VHS tapes, the whole night, I couldn't get enough of this. And so I started to implement what it is that I was learning both in that course and through the stuff that I was learning from Dan and Gary. And, um, and I had to kind of maneuver it a little bit to fit in the, in the health club. Uh, but I, my department took off and then eventually I don't remember, call it, you know, a year later, 15 months later, my department is the poster child in the, in this club, like in this company, like I'm now rocking the house. I'm strutting around, like, you know, I'm the man in this, in this facility. We're doing like 3 million bucks a year in personal training sales. And then I said, you know what, let me see if I could use what it is that I applied in the health club. Let me see if I could teach, teach it to somebody else, uh, to other, to other folks. I didn't want to do anything in the health club business in the personal training field because I felt like it would be a conflict of interest with my boss. Like I just didn't, I didn't want to do that. And so I decided to help massage therapists, a group that we kind of work with in the health clubs. And so I created my own kind of home study version, very similar to what it is that I received back then that first thing. And, um, 
And then that was the beginning of my journey. And then like, I didn't know how to put up a web page. This was pre, you know, there was no WordPress. There was no click funnels. There was none of that, right? Everything had to be like done in Microsoft front page or Dreamweaver. I went into this thing. My aim at the time was, I just want to make a thousand bucks a month. Like if I, I, you know, like I was like, if I can make a thousand bucks a month that I could just blow on whatever nonsense, I'm loving life, right? Like I'll be loving life. And it was kind of a little bit of a test for me of, could I apply, could I take what it is that I was learning in this one setting and apply it somewhere else? And so uh, I would say that maybe, I don't remember exactly, this is going way back now, but maybe a year and a half later, that little business is matching what it is that I'm making from the health club company. And at that time I was doing pretty well in my role. And so that kind of led to, I then decided, let me help, let me work with chiropractors since I felt like chiropractors had more money and could spend more money. And, um, and to, to kind of wrap this up without giving you the, the gory details in between, uh, right around that time, a, a buddy of mine who you might recognize his name, his name is Chris Brisson. He is the founder of like call loop today. He's the founder of call loop. He's the founder of like sales message. Like he's a great SaaS entrepreneur today. He had given me access to all the tech, little tech things like the automated, uh, automated teleseminar auto teleseminar, I think it was called. He had given me all these things because I had given him some advice, uh, on his business. And so one day I was like, what can I do for you, man? Like, you know, you've given me all, like, I just feel terrible. Like, I feel like I'm just taking in this relationship and not giving anything back. And he was like, man, he was like, you know, look, would you jump on and share with my audience, like the marketing stuff that you're doing? And at the time we were generating, we had a campaign that was generating like $24 a lead. So for every lead that we generated, we, we generated $24 in revenue. So I was like, sure, man, let me get on. I'll, I'd love to do that. Got on for like 90 minutes, just dumped like, you know, everything that I possibly could. And at the end I was like, all right, later, you know, like, see you guys, you know, like, right. That, that was, that was my whole pitch in the end. Like I was like, all right, see you. I'm out. Um, hung up. And like 20 minutes later, I get a text message from Chris's partner and he goes, the text was something like, dude, people are pissed. Now I'm thinking, I'm like, did I say anything inappropriate? Like, did I, did I like, what the heck, you know, which I, I, I probably could have said something inappropriate. I'm like, did I, I'm like, what, what, what's up, man? What can I like, what did I do? What can I do to fix it? And he was like, no, no, no. He texted me back. He's like, no, you don't understand. He's like, people are pissed that you didn't have something to offer, which I always say has never happened to me before and never happened to me since ever. Of course it would happen then right that time. Yeah, for sure. And so I'm like, all right. Uh, and so then I started to think, I'm like, wow, maybe there is a, you know, maybe there's a market for this. Maybe people would be interested. I think I, I, I'd be jacked to share this stuff with people. This was, you know, the idea of a funnel was just starting to be talked about. And so like three months later, we did another, like we did an encore in the end, I made this offer for like, I don't even remember like a coaching thing. Uh, it sold out before the teleseminar was, was over. And, um, and that was the Genesis and that's where it began. And, and, uh, and that's where the, the Todd Brown, whatever that means was born. 
Yeah, the the Todd Brown. So you didn't mention this, Todd, but I I've seen some photos of you flexing muscles and and standing in a bikini. Like you were part of the the body. Like the, I mean, you're not as old as as Arnold Schwarzenegger, but you were in that competitive field. Before we get into all of the marketing stuff, I'm just curious, what did you learn from that kind of competition that you bring to what you're doing in marketing today? Yeah, man. I, I love the question. Um, so yeah, so l- let me give you a little background. So, right, I'm I'm five five, I'm still five five. So I'm short. I was always a really skinny kid. I was terrible in with athletics. I was um I don't want to say shy, but, um, you know, I was always introverted, still am introverted. Um, and so I remember I, I wanted to wrestle in high school, like my sophomore year. And I think I, you know, like, you know, why I wanted to wrestle. I have no idea. Like I said, I had no athletic ability, I think because it was like a little bit of a macho thing. I couldn't make any other team. And so let me, let me give this a shot. I was so light that when everybody else was weighing in, you know, you weighed in before you, you competed, everybody else is stripped down in their draws, getting on the thing. I'm in my wrestling jacket. I don't have to take an ounce of clothing off because I was like 15 pounds under the lightest, the lightest weight. And kids so, must have looked at you and thought, I, I hope I get him on the draw. Like they did. They they always did. And um, and of course, like I I I stunk, you know. I think I might have won once, like so. So, like our buddy Russell Brunson, right, who's got an amazing story, who's an incredible wrestler, like an incredible. I was the antithesis of that, like the complete opposite of Russell. Um, so it was after my freshman year that I I uh my parents got me like this dumbbell, uh, this um sand weight set, like it was it was filled with sand at home. And I I always loved like the bigger guys. I think because I was a smaller guy that I always looked at like I watched the incredible Hulk when I was a kid, and I was like, you know, like look, I was like, man, it must be great to walk around looking like that. Like the the women love you, the men right respect you. And it was more me about the men, like the men respect you, right? So I started weightlifting. And my body just took to it. And so the first year I put on like 16, 17 pounds of muscle. And so I decided come my sophomore year that I was not going to wrestle. I was going to just take the full year. I was going to continue to just weight train. And my body just continued to respond. Um, and I continued to, to put on muscle. And then that became the end of my, my, you know, my struggling wrestling career. And then over the next handful of years, I just continued to train. I was very, I was, I was really, I was so into it so that it was easy to be disciplined. My parents then eventually took me to a gym, health club, got bigger, better. And then I, I got into, um, to competitive bodybuilding and I love competitive bodybuilding because for a number of reasons, number one, I liked that it was an individual sport. So my success wasn't dependent on anybody else. It was dependent on me and what I chose to do. Um, And so there was no blame on anybody else. And there was no, there was, there was no reliance on anybody else. It was all about reliance on myself. Um, It required a tremendous amount of discipline, like, because, you know, bodybuilding is a, is a, is really one of the most difficult sports because it's 24 seven. So it's your, your nutrition, your food intake, right? I was eating six meals a day, every two and a half hours pre pre um, like I, I weighed everything out. I prepackaged everything did not matter where I was 
what I was doing, if it was time to eat, like I'd be, I had, I never forget having like ground beef as one of the staples of the meal, like ground beef and rice. If I was driving the car on my way somewhere and it was time for me to eat, I had to pull over, could not heat it up, couldn't heat it up. I did what I had to do. And, um, and so sleep, fluid training, the whole, the whole nine. Um, and so the biggest thing that I, I really, and I learned a lot of lessons, ironically with the question, I'm going to be sharing some of these lessons with you guys in at top one, but number one, I learned the, um, I learned the enormous value of discipline, most specifically learn the value of putting your head down and doing the work that you need to do and not entertaining the voice in your head that will bring doubt and challenge and resistance, but put, put your head down, put your nose to the grindstone, do what you got to do. Um, be consistent. Consistency is, is key. Like consistency is key. Um, and not look up until it's done and not entertain. Like I said, that, that inner, that inner dialogue. I think that one thing alone carries over in so many ways to, to business. I just want to spell it out real quick. Number one, I see so many people that like, like will so many entrepreneurs that are constantly rethinking their strategy, constantly rethinking their model, constantly trying to reinvent um, you know, a, a new way, a new thing to execute their, their, their business constantly on the hunt for this next magic bullet. When the reality is, is that many of the things that they're entertaining, most of the things that they're entertaining would work if they would just put their nose to the grindstone, implement and continue to implement and do it consistently. It's very much like, you know, again, like weight loss. You know, there are a lot of different ways that a lot of different programs, a lot of different cardio programs, a lot of different weight training programs, a lot of different diets. The problem isn't that there's one magic way to do it. The problem is, is that people don't stick with the way that they've chosen to do it long enough, consistently enough with discipline to reap the rewards. And so it showed me, right? Like I followed the same program for years for years. Now there's nuances to, you know, to pushing yourself to do an additional rep or add weight or all that. But I followed the same program. I ate the same thing every day. All those six meals were the same at the same time, all the time. And, um, and it was that just relentless discipline in terms of consistency, not entertaining any doubt, not rethinking the whole thing that just allowed me to, um, to thrive. And so I ended up, you know, like I, I was on the national stage, I was on TV. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, I took some tremendous lessons from that. And so hope that answered the question without going too long. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like that discipline was in you from a young age with wrestling. Do you think it's possible for people who struggle with discipline or maybe don't even have that athletic background at such a young age to now as an adult building their business? figure out how to have that focus and silence those voices. It sounds like a lot of mindset work too. Um, ha what has worked for some of the, the businesses you've worked with and the entrepreneurs you've worked with who have struggled with that? Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you the answer that is likely not the answer that you're looking for. Cause I think that I have a little bit of a different perspective when it comes to discipline. I think that you know, a lot of people, you know, so for me, number one, I believe that discipline is a choice. I don't believe that it's a character attribute. I don't believe that you've, I don't believe that it's something you either have or you don't. 
I don't even believe that it's something that you can de- that you develop. I believe that it is a choice. And so for me, it's a it's a little bit of a hard question to um to answer because I really believe that when people say like um like I'm struggling with discipline or I'm struggling with motivation, my response is typically the same. It's you either want it bad enough or you don't. Like and that's the right like you either want it bad enough or you don't. You know, so when you're faced with two choices, like either I'm going to work on my business or I'm going to, you know, binge Netflix. Well, which which is more important to you? Which do you want more? If you if you truly want this thing more, then act, take action, then do what it is that you say you want most. But so for me, when people say, like, I lack the motivation, what should I do? Then find a different goal to pursue if that's the case. If you're not jazzed about it, motivated, if you're not like, you know, if it's not something that you really, truly want in your core, well, then, yeah, when you're faced with other options or obstacles, you're going to succumb to that. Right. And so for me, it wasn't that I, I would say that, you know, in most areas of my life, I would say that if you if you you judged, if we put this under the umbrella of discipline in most areas of my life, I lack discipline if you put it under that umbrella, because there are lots of areas that just aren't really important to me. Like they're not that important to me. It's not that. And so like, I'll brush it off. You know, like when my wife gives me a chore around the house, like I procrastinate until the very last minute on that. Right. Which is a separate issue in and of itself. Uh, It's a different podcast for a different day. Right. But it's like that, you know, I'm getting better at that, but it really comes down to like, look, you either want it or you don't now look, Maybe for some people, for some entrepreneurs, they haven't taken the time to really process what it will mean for them to have a successful business, how their life will be different, what the, the what it will do for them, what it will give them, the autonomy, the financial freedom, all those things. Um, but you either, to me, you either want it or you don't. And when you want something bad enough, you're going to make it the um, the priority. And so I didn't want to eat cold beef and rice on the side of the road, but I wanted to win more than I didn't want to eat that beef and rice. Right. And so I wanted to eat pizza. I love pizza. I love donuts. I love the worst of the worst. Like I have a, I have a, a, a palate for garbage, but there are things that are more important to me than eating that garbage. And so for me, it's, it's an easy, it's an easy choice when I say like, I could either have this and I know like in the moment, I'll love the ring ding or the Twinkie or whatever, like I'll savor that bad boy in that moment. And then after I'll feel terrible about myself and be like, why did I do that? I blew it. Like that was a poor decision. And and right. And so I'm just able to look like, what do I want? How badly do I want it? Because if you want it badly enough, then you're going to do what you've got to do. When I launched the, that that first business to massage therapists, so at the time I had two toddlers. My youngest daughter was just born. And so I had two toddlers, 17 months apart. And so, and I'm working a full-time job and I'm thriving in the full-time job and I owe it to my employer to continue to do great. So I had to get up early in the morning, right before anybody else was, they were getting up, but early in the morning, late at night, sometimes I'll never forget on the week. I remember looking out the window of the room that I was working in and I would see my wife on the little deck in the backyard with my two toddlers. And right. I desperately wanted to be with them, but I, I knew that I believed that and wanted the success that the business would give me. And I knew that it would impact my relationship with them long-term forever. And so I was willing to sacrifice 
that little bit of time or what I believed would be a little bit of time to um, to get this this bad boy off the off the ground. And so I just believe that you've got to get real with yourself and you've got to ask yourself what is most important to me. And when you want it bad enough, you'll do what you've got to do, period. So, Todd, I want to come back to some of the marketing stuff. Uh, you know, like, I'm I'm feeling the discipline stuff, and you've got me excited already, like ready to jump into it. But so, when you launch this marketing business, and you're reaching out to massage therapists, you're reaching out to some of these other groups. Today, you've got all kinds of programs. You know, E5. You talk about big idea. You talk about leads, like all of these things that you do. But what were the things that you were teaching them as as they were just getting started, as you were getting started? What were the basics of that program? If you want to succeed in marketing, you got to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So uh, the foundation of the program was really an introduction to direct response marketing, the difference between direct response and brand institutional advertising, the difference between direct response and what the typical professional or massage therapist was doing you know, they were trying to build name recognition, that repeated exposure, all the typical stuff that we see from the typical mom and mom and pop. And so it was very focused on the difference between direct response and brand institutional advertising. Um, and then it incorporated all of kind of the, the principles and tenets of direct response, the idea of like, what is long form copy? What are the elements of long form copy? What is the, the, the purpose and role of a headline? How do you write an effective headline? The format and the flow of a direct response message, constructing an offer, presenting an offer, uh, using two-step campaigns uh, for lead generation. And all this was really it was mostly what I was teaching, mostly offline stuff, like how to use toll-free recorded messages and multi-step follow-up and um, and all that. So it was really just very foundational stuff. It was the stuff that I became enamored with in the fitness world. And now I was like, let me kind of show them how this would work for them in the massage space and kind of translated everything over to their world. And so showed them examples of massage ads done the right way, direct response that I created um, and, and all that stuff. So it was very, very basic. You mentioned Todd, that when you were starting out, you were independent and you know self-reliant. And so over time you've built this incredible team and we've been able to work with so many of your team members. How, what was that path like for you? Was it an easy path where it was like, I just, I need the team. We're going to do it. Or was it a challenge to go from being more self-reliant to eventually relying on this, this team? Um, it was brutal. It's still a little brutal if I'm being honest with you, right? Like it's still a little, um, it's still a little brutal because as I mentioned, right. I've always been introverted. Like I love the idea. Like when I look at my calendar and I'm like, man, today I get to just work in my office, like alone. I'm like, oh my gosh, I like almost sit and savor it for a moment before I dive into the day. I resisted building a team for a very long time, right? And so for me, that was learning as many parts of the business as I possibly could, doing kind of doing everything. This is such a deep topic too. I, I almost kind of felt like that's what this thing that I was doing was supposed to be. It was supposed to be, I almost didn't treat it like a business. I treated it like it was just marketing that I was doing and making money and helping people. And so I'm going to juggle all the other, um, all the other little things. 
And so it was very difficult for me to make the decision to start to bring in a team because I feared the idea of, of now, like I, I, of having to manage people. Cause I did that like in the health club business and like, right. I did that. And I always like, you know, this person didn't show up. This person didn't do the job that they were supposed to do. This person didn't execute the right way. Like that whole, right. Like I just like the idea of like, man, if I didn't have to rely on anybody, right. Then um, I'm golden. And I was golden for a little while uh, until it just, it, it got stretched until I became, I got to this point where I was doing everything and doing most things poorly. Right. Like, because things eventually, right. You only have so much bandwidth, only have so much time until you reach this point where I can't do everything that I want to do and do it at the level that I want to do it. And so I have no choice, but to now bring somebody in to support me. I still have moments where I'm like, man, if I just did this myself, it would be perfect from the start. Like, I still have that conversation. I still like, I'd be lying if I said that I, I, I don't. And I have a great team. I'm very blessed and very fortunate to, these are phenomenal. I love these people to death. But yeah, not easy. I know that that explanation probably didn't give much value. And so if there's a specific question, I'd love to, I'd love to share. I think it's just good to hear that it's hard. Um, I guess the specific question would be like, if for when it is hard, what helped you get through it? Because it sounds like it's worthwhile. It's worth building that team. Otherwise you wouldn't do it. So yeah. what helps you get through it when you're like, I don't know, maybe I should just do all this myself. Yeah. Um, so what really helped me was comparing the the negatives of the two scenarios, really, in my mind. It was like, well, here's the here's my options. Right. My option is I can bring aboard, uh, you know, a person, uh, start to build a team. Um, and then, yeah, there are some management and leadership things that I have to put in place and some processes and whatnot, which I was dreading. Right. Because like I love marketing. I love marketing. I love marketing. The idea of right processes and systems and managing and leadership was I had enough of that. I did that for many, many years in the health club business. I was like, I don't want to do that. So there are negatives associated with that, but there are negatives associated with me continuing to do it the way that I've been doing it. And it was that negatives, the, the negatives of me doing it and having to try to juggle everything and knowing what that would look like in terms of my life and my schedule and my, 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 my brain space, that was worse to me than this. And so I chose in my mind, the lesser of the lesser of two evils. That's really, honestly, it wasn't this big vision of, you know, let me have a team, a well-oiled machine with divisions and, you know, division leaders. And it was never, never that, uh, never that at all. Now, some of that in all fairness, like, look, some of that in all fairness could be, um, you know, what I enjoy and my area of strength, right? There are other people like, look, I'll, I'll tell you this for what it's worth. And it pains me to actually say this, but this is the truth. I believe this, that um, I'd rather be a better entrepreneur than be a better marketer. I'd rather be a better entrepreneur than a better marketer, right? The, you know, the better entrepreneur, the person, the, the, the individual with business skills, the skills of really being able to understand financials, the, the understanding strategy, understanding team development, um, understanding vision setting, uh, that individual will beat a better marketer uh, who lacks on the entrepreneurial skill set um, all the time because great entrepreneur will find a great marketer and will know how to train them, you know, bring them aboard, incentivize them. And so, but I also realized that we are who we are. We're created with certain gifts and talents and certain skills. 
and uh, it's just not what I enjoy. And so I just choose not to, you know, I choose not to do it. Now, fortunately, I've got Damien, whose arm I twisted to come aboard um, and run the run the company for me. And so I it wasn't like I just said the heck with it. We're not going to have any of that. But it was this decision that I I don't want to do it. I ain't doing it because I'm not good at it and I don't enjoy it. And so let me find somebody else that can do it. So this is a really interesting idea to me, um, the like the shift from marketer to entrepreneur. And this is something we talk a lot about with copywriters. You know, you've you're not just there to write words; you're there to solve problems. And and this feels like that idea on steroids, where you're you're basically saying, okay, you're not the thing you're doing; you're all of this other stuff that makes the thing you're doing possible. Will you talk a little bit about how you made that shift? Because you were a stellar marketer before you were a great entrepreneur. Well, look, and I, and I appreciate that. I don't know if I, there are there are far better entrepreneurs than me, right? Uh, there are clients that you know that are far better entrepreneurs than I, than I am. Um, I, I certainly have gotten better, and I've embraced certain aspects out of sheer demand, you know. Uh, but um, I think that you know, look, I think I believe that some of it came about, Rob, from just the evolution of the marketplace. You know, there was a time when, you know, we we all in some capacity are byproducts of Dan Kennedy, of the true legends, the true thes in the business. Um and you know, Dan who's amazing and I can't say enough about you know, uh, what he's done for, he's created this industry, he pioneered the, the, you know, the industry, uh, for the most part, you know, he's really, he really kind of indoctrinated everybody with this idea that, you know, you're not in the business of X, you're in the business of marketing X and marketing fixes all problems and, you know, marketing, marketing, marketing. And there was a time when that was very true. And very early on, you know, there were no monster, you know, information product businesses like there are today. There were, you know, the, you know, back the idea of doing a million bucks a year back then was like, wow, okay, you're at the pinnacle, right? Um, Today, you're not so much. And so... I saw the marketplace evolve and I saw that there were, you know, individuals coming in that were just great entrepreneurs and they were able to thrive, even though they weren't nearly as good marketers as some of the others, they were able to go well beyond what just good marketing could get you by being a good entrepreneur. And so as I saw that more and more, as I saw just more and more um, folks that that were breaking this ceiling, shattering the ceiling, uh, I started to realize like, wow, what's the thing that these folks have in common? And what they what I realized was that they are entrepreneurs that happen to be using direct response marketing and long form copy and all the cool marketing you know stuff that we we talk about as a means to grow their business. But they didn't see themselves as marketers doing marketing. They saw themselves as entrepreneurs that happen to use direct response marketing because it's the most effective form of marketing to grow their business. And so I just started to really realize like, wow, okay, you know, the, the days of the pure marketer remaining on top of the, of the mountain, those days are quickly coming to an end. 
Uh, and so that was really what led to that change. Uh, what advice would you give to copywriters to help them stay in their zone of genius, especially if they don't have a team yet, but they really are struggling and could benefit from leaning into it? So it's a great question, Kira. So tell me when you say their zone of genius would, should I assume that that is writing copy? Um, it could be part of it. It could be, you know, it could be brainstorming ideas or it could be more strategy and thinking through strategies for funnels, or it could be brilliant at writing personality driven copy and email sequences, or it could be, I mean, it could okay. be anything they're bringing to the table that they've identified already, but they feel like they haven't really fully jumped into it. I don't have any kind of brilliant answer for that, but I would say that you've really got to be um, intentional and proactive about your schedule that you are, uh, that you're allocating the time on your schedule uh, blocked out to focus on your, your, your zone of genius. And when you find your other responsibilities beginning to encroach on that time, that's when you've got to make um, a decision. And that decision could either be, I need to change the, 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 the business that I'm in, or I need to hire people to support me so that they can, they can take those things that are now encroaching on my time. But it's really just a matter of managing your, your schedule, monitoring it and making sure that you're not allowing all these other things to encroach on that time. And so again, you just, you have a, when you find that it is because of the, the nature of your business, because it's evolving, it's growing, it's expanding there are more things that you want to do in the business, well, then you have to take a step back and you have to say, okay, these things are now encroaching on my ability to stay in my zone of genius. Therefore, right? Like number one, are these things necessary or am I just allowing these, you know, oddball things to, to come into play that I can just cut and not even do? Or is it that these are now mandatory things for where my business is at right now? If so, do I want to continue on the same, you know, business trajectory? Well, if so, then I have to find somebody to support me to, um, to do those, or you have to change the business. Oh, okay. Let's break in here. There is a lot of stuff that we could touch base on. I, I kind of care. I'm tempted to like, just say, Todd's so amazing. What can we even add to the conversation? But there's a, a bunch of things that I think are worth at least underlining and just saying, yeah, we should pay real, you know, a lot of attention to this. So I'm curious, I'll let you go first. What stood out to you uh, from this first half, half of the interview? I think you know my favorite part, or at least one of my favorite parts from this conversation. It was early on when Todd said, discipline is a choice. That just was such a refreshing take on the conversation we have around discipline, uh, where oftentimes it feels like, okay, some people have it, some people don't. But Todd really said, like, this is something you can choose. And he chooses it every day. And it doesn't, it's not easy. Um, but it speaks to motivation. So a lot of what we talked about with him was around motivation and questioning if you're not doing the thing. And if you can't muster up the discipline to go after what you want, then maybe it's time to really question if you really want it in the first place. And so a lot of this is just around behavior and thinking about our behavior design. And if the motivation isn't there or if it's just not high enough, um, it doesn't matter how easy you can make an activity or you know what type of prompt you give yourself, the reminders you give yourself. It's just 
the behavior won't happen. So it was just a refreshing, um, refreshing for me and changed the way I look at discipline. Yeah, I thought exactly the same thing. Of course, there are situations where it's not just about wanting the thing. You know, there are addictions and and things that you know impact us from the outside that may actually hurt our ability to take control of the situation. But in the vast majority of business challenges, for sure, and a lot of our personal challenges, it really is about wanting the thing, wanting the thing bad enough. You know, do you do you want the the outcome enough to give up the thing that is that is de- you know, derailing you from what you're doing. And we, I think most of us have this constant voice in our head telling us to do other things or distracting us with other ideas or thoughts, or, Hey, you should check out what's on Instagram right now, or that kind of thing. And being able to just shut that off and say, what I'm working on for my client or for my business or, you know, achieving my personal goal, whatever that is, is more important to me than all of that other stuff. And it really does come down to how badly do you want it most of the time? So I think I'm probably repeating a lot of what you said, but that is one of the big things that stood out to me as well. Yeah. And then Todd also mentioned, you know, the the struggle for many entrepreneurs is that we are constantly rethinking our strategy. And this is something that he talks about frequently in top one, which is the mastermind we participate in and how, you know, entrepreneurs at, at all levels doesn't, they could be experienced and, and quite successful, but still so many of us struggle and we're kind of constantly looking for the next thing. And then of course we're, you know, we love growth and we love to learn. So we don't want to turn it off and we're constantly listening and absorbing what our colleagues are doing. Um, And we are excited about it. And so naturally we're like, oh, I need to try this strategy or I need to try this and I need to try this. And, you know, Todd's message about even the gym going back to weightlifting, it's like, it doesn't really matter what you're doing. Um, to a certain degree, it just matters that you stick to it and you're consistent and you don't deviate from the plan. And it's the same thing for business. And so I love how he drew that parallel and how, I mean, you and I have struggled with this too. And we, we've had some conversations together and with Todd about just like, we just have to stick to the one thing and stick to the plan rather than bouncing around and following all those shiny objects and ideas that distract us. Yeah, I think a lot of that ties directly to what Todd was sharing about being a better entrepreneur uh, as opposed to being a better marketer. As marketers, we're always looking for what is the thing, you know, like how do I make this funnel work or should I be trying a different kind of lead magnet or if everybody else is doing this thing, should I be doing something else? Or, you know, why is my webinar not working this time? And maybe I need to rethink it and do a, a video sales letter or, you know, video podcast that's shared in a different way or, or like our marketing brains are supposed to work like that. We're looking for problems to solve and and better ways to fix it. And then when we take a step back as entrepreneurs in our business, as CEOs of the businesses that we own for ourselves, serving our clients, all of that, we need to take a, you know, a, a broader look and say, okay, it's not about all of the tactics. It's about how do I solve this problem? And keeping at it long enough to find the solution to make sure that the solution works. And once I have something that works, making it work better and not necessarily jumping to thing number two or thing number three. Now that doesn't mean that we can't have more than one offer or that we can't have more than one funnel, but we want to make sure that we're not jumping from something that's not working or only kind of working in a constant search of the thing that's better. And we kind of go from thing that doesn't work to thing that doesn't work to thing that doesn't work to thing that kind of works to thing that doesn't work and so on. And we also talked about 
Todd and being an introvert. And I, I, I mean, you know, we, we talk to so many introverts on the show. I'm always excited. I'm excited when I meet extroverts too because I love their energy. But I feel like, you know, as an introvert, I love talking to other introverts, especially successful business owners like Todd, just to see like, hey, yeah, we can do this. Like we can also have this type of success as introverts, but we just do it in a different way. And so the part of the conversation where he talked about building a team and how it's not easy for him. And even today it can be a struggle just because he's, he, you know, he's an introvert and kind of like wants to just do things on his own. Um, I think it was just refreshing to hear uh, his perspective on that and just to be reminded of like weighing out the pros and the cons, right? And he's very logical about it and the way he described it to us where it's like, okay, well, there are cons and pros to both. So make a list and figure out if it's worth just going at it on your own or building a team, um, which one will get you to the final destination. And so um, that was just enjoyable to hear because similar struggles, similar struggles over here. Yeah. I mean, we get to see Todd in person a couple of times a year, which is nice. And it's fun to watch him at his events because he, you know, he doesn't stay late at the parties. Uh, you know, he's not uh, interacting like an extrovert. He is definitely introverted and uh, recharged by time alone or charged you know, with time with a book or, you know, working on the next thing that he's doing. And I totally relate to that. Uh, you've seen me at you IRL. You don't stay at the parties Yeah, like you've seen me disappear. Uh, I remember the very first uh, IRL, Ramit Sethi was there. And uh, after about 30 minutes of the party, I think he was leaving and I was sneaking out and we were in the elevator together. And he looked at me, he's like, you're leaving your own party? And I was like, yeah, Kira's got this under control. I'm, I'm going to go rest. So it was, it was kind of funny. I, but I relate to that for sure. And I love seeing that, you know, Todd is aware of it. And hey, if Todd can survive, not just survive, but excel as an introvert, there's a lot of us that can be doing better in our businesses. Yeah. So maybe I'm just an introvert who likes to party. I don't <laughs> <laughs> or you're an extrovert that likes time alone. Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> or, or, yeah, or the alcohol is a social lubricant and that always helps a little bit too. So um, we also talked a little bit about uh, Todd's perspective on how he'd rather be a better entrepreneur than a better marketer. Um, and I just thought that was kind of an interesting um, history that he shared about what he's seen Uh over the decades as far as like the success that he's seen and the shift to really like if you're going to make it, it's about focusing on being a better entrepreneur. And so for me, um, that just reminds me that I really want to focus on that to strengthen my own entrepreneurship and not just, you know, use the my skills as a marketer as a crutch to not learn how to really run a business well. Yeah, one other thing I want to point out was from the, almost the very beginning of the interview when Todd was sharing the story about the first time he did a training and did not have <laughs> the offer. Yeah. And that just really stood out to me. I We see this all the time. People that we know, uh, copywriters that we see that you know, maybe aren't even in our programs, but we go on to podcasts or we get onto stages, um, you know, we're even with our email lists and we you know, have a great presentation, we're sharing all of this great stuff, and then nothing, no offer, no way to contact you other than I've got to track you down on Instagram or on your website. And that was just a really good reminder that we all need to, to be ready 
with that offer, if you've got a killer podcast, of course, with the, with the host permission, share the offer, share what it, the thing is that you can do to solve the listener's problem. If you're on stage with, again, the, the presenters or the event's permission, you want to be able to share how you can help everybody who's listening to your speech, your presentation, take the next step with you. And so being ready with the offer, really good reminder and something that uh, we can do better and probably just about everybody else who's listening can do better. Yeah. And even if you're, if you're speaking, you know, whether it's on stage virtual stage, or like you said, on a podcast about something that maybe is a new topic for you that you haven't, maybe you're, you're teaching it for the first time, um, even though you've studied it for a while and you don't necessarily have an offer related to it. Like you can come up with something before you present on stage and it doesn't have to be final. It doesn't have to be dialed in, but they're, they're really, the opportunity is to have at least one offer in the back of your mind that you could share with people if they're interested. And then you can build it from there and figure it out from there. Um, but like Todd shared, I mean, the people in that training that he ran, like they, they were upset. For they, it. Yeah. they want it. They want more support, especially if you know what you're doing and you can support people and you can help solve problems for them, give them something else. So they have a pathway and you just, you don't leave them uh, in a cul-de-sac. So um, yeah, that was a good reminder. I've definitely made that mistake many times. All right. Well, let's get back into the interview with Todd where he breaks down how copywriters can use his E5 method to stand out, attract better clients and projects. So Todd, I would love to talk a little bit about E5 and just marketing campaigns in general. You know, obviously, We've got maybe 15 or 20 minutes left of our time here. You've taught this for three days, but as far as an effective marketing campaign, and, and I'm thinking mostly like if I'm a copywriter and I want to get myself out in front of more clients, more of my ideal clients, what are just a couple of steps that you can help us through so that we can start doing some of that stuff that you and your company do so well? Yeah. So is this, Rob, so is it more about how can a copywriter really use some of the elements of E5 totally. to grow their own business? Yep, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is an awesome question. So, and this is something that, um, you know, at, at some point we could ponder, even do a special workshop for your people on this. It'd be my pleasure to do that. We but, are you know, going to say yes to that right okay. without, yeah, cool. without any cool. additional discussion. Yeah. Cool. Let me start here. So marketing at the core, right? There's a lot of like definitions and terms and all this kind of vernacular associated with marketing, but at the core, marketing is really the art of meaningful differentiation, right? Like at its core, marketing is the art of meaningful differentiation. Now, right, we've got, there are two words in there that I need to point out. Number one is differentiation. So we know that as markets evolve and they become more crowded, like the copywriter space, you know, I'm, there's so many copywriters today, right? Which is cool because wild demand for more demand than I, I can ever remember for good copywriters today. But, you know, there was a time when like, you know, like I knew like, you know, two copywriters and I was like, where are the other copywriters? There was like two of them. You know what I mean? Like, that's how it felt. Um, well, as markets evolve, as they all, as they always do, and the solution, the thing that you're ultimately offering becomes more and more commonplace, it becomes that much more critical to demonstrate what makes you, your approach 
your ability to deliver results different from everybody else. In other words, what you don't want to do, what you never want to do is you never want to allow your service to be viewed as a commodity, to be viewed as something that they can get somewhere else, right? When you become viewed as a commodity, that's when people shop around, right? That's when, well, you're going to do it for, you know, for 10 grand. Let me see if somebody's willing to do it for nine grand, if somebody's willing to do it for eight grand or whatever it is, right? Because you're offering the same thing, right? A gallon of gas. No, there's no gas station that's going to sell a gallon of gas for double the price that the other gas stations are, right? Because no one's paying for that because it's viewed as a commodity because it is a commodity. So the, when you reach this point where the, like the copywriting, the copywriter uh, uh, profession has reached, you have to differentiate. Now, the second word that I said in there, the art of meaningful differentiation. So what is meant by meaningful differentiation? Well, meaningful, meaningful to who? Meaningful to the prospect, right? Meaningful to the prospect in, in that the differentiation, the point of difference is of value and benefit to the prospect. So different for difference sake doesn't make it more valuable and beneficial for the prospect. You might be the only copywriter that's got, you know, gorgeous, uh, a gorgeous mane of red hair. That's not a point of meaningful differentiation, right? That means nothing to me as the price. You might stand out in your ads. You might look cool. It might, right, from a branding perspective. But in terms of meaningful differentiation in this context, that's not, um, that's, that doesn't fall into that category. So meaningful is, right, it needs to be of, of value and benefit to the prospect. Well, today, there are only two ways to do that, two effective ways to do that in marketing. The first way is the USP. The unique selling proposition. Unique selling proposition, there are tons of definitions, but the easiest definition to really to remember for folks is that a unique selling proposition, USP, is when you offer a benefit, a unique benefit to prospects that they can't get or experience with any other competing product. So when your product or service has a unique benefit that nobody else that you are competing with and we could talk about like there's a whole discussion that we could have on who are you competing with because for what it's worth right it's important to understand that like for copywriters this is this is an important point so i got to i got to take this so it, it's important to realize that when we are marketing and selling anything we're marketing and selling a solution to a problem right we're selling an outcome we're selling a result right people aren't paying for the copywriter to write x amount of words they're paying for the result of what those words are going to do for them the additional sales the additional leads the, the the bonding whatever all that the result right and so it's important to understand that we're, we're solving a problem. We're, we're solving a problem for the prospect, right? Problems are either pain points that they want alleviated or they are unfulfilled desires, right? But that's, we're solving a problem. We're offering a solution to a problem. So even for copywriters, you've got to realize that you're competing with not only other copywriters, but you're competing potentially with these supposed um, AI software that'll bang out right with three clicks of the mouse that'll bang out a, a high conversion sales letter. Why? Because that thing is promising the same result that that a copywriter is promising, right? And I say supposed because it's, it's don't even get me started on that. Uh, but so, right, so you're competing with anybody and everybody that is promising the same result 
that you are, even if the mechanism or mode of delivery of that result is different. It's just like an agency that's promising um, SEO rankings, top rankings on Google. They're not only competing with other agencies, but they're also competing with software that promises to get you, right? Because what are people buying? They're buying the, the result. So USP, going back to the, um, to the USP, so when you offer a benefit that none of the other competing solutions offer, that's a USP. But today, USPs are very rare. They're usually uh, typically seen with disruptive technologies. So like, you know, I, I like to say like when Uber first hit the scene, right? Like they had many USPs, right? From your phone, you didn't have to have cash. You don't have to tip or whatever. Like, uh, you know, you know when your driver's going to arrive, the rate, all right, all that stuff. Those were USPs for Uber at the time. Of course, we know today that those are no longer USPs thanks to other ride share companies like Lyft and whatnot. But the point is that unique, a unique selling proposition is very rare today. It's still talked about in direct response circles, but it is very rare, especially in crowded, saturated, and sophisticated markets, which brings us to the second of the two ways to meaningfully differentiate. And that is what you guys are familiar with. That is, and you'll see how this is all coming back to copywriters. The, the second way is the unique mechanism. Now, even though it sounds similar in name, unique selling proposition, unique mechanism, they're wildly different because a unique mechanism has nothing to do with offering a, a unique benefit. A unique mechanism is all about showing your prospect that you have a different way to produce the result, a different methodology, a different framework, a different system for producing the same, uh, the same result that they are after. So the beauty is with a unique mechanism, you don't need to have a, um, a unique benefit. You can be promising the same benefit, the same uh, outcome, the same results that everybody else is, but you are meaningfully differentiating, meaningfully differentiating by showing your prospect that you have a different way to produce the result that they want. And that different way is superior to the other ways in some aspect either in speed, either in reliability, either in, you know, potency, right? In some shape or form. So ultimately what we really want to do is we want to take copyright. I'm not, now I'm getting to the, where the rubber meets the road kind of thing. So we want to take copywriters and what I would do if I was a copywriter, and this is kind of showing what I'm telling copywriters to do is I would what I call interrogate my method, my approach, my process for writing copy. And when I say interrogate in this context, I mean, I would put it under the microscope and I would ask myself, well, why do I do it the way that I do it? Why do I start with research? Okay. I do research. What do I research first? And how do I go about my research? What do I, what's the first thing I look at? What's the second thing that I look at? What am I writing down? Why am I writing those things down? Right. Then what's the next thing that I do? Do I work on the offer first? How do I work on the offer? Right. Do I work on, then do I go to the big idea and how do I approach the big idea? Do I then go on and what is my entire process? Why do I do it the way that I do it? Why do I do it in the order in which I, um, I, I do it? Why don't I do certain steps that other copywriters do um, that they think is essential that I don't believe is essential? And why don't I believe that it's essential? And why 
Am I doing anything in a way that they're not doing it? And why am I doing it this way? Right. And so really what you're what you're doing in this interrogation process is you are really getting clarity on the reasons behind the rationale behind why you follow the approach that you follow. Well, assuming that you don't do it exactly like every other copywriter does it, right? Like assuming that you're not from second one, you're not like, you know, it's not like Bob, the copywriter or, 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 or Lauren, the copywriter is following Kira's exact method or Rob's exact method to the T from second one. They're doing, they have their own spin, their own little approach, their own nuances in there. Well, when you have your own little spin, your own nuances, your own approach in there, that's your approach. That's your approach to producing sales, producing copy, right? Well, then what I would do is I would identify that, I would name it, and I would talk about the reason why my copy produces better results than anybody else is because of XYZ, because of the Rob and Kira method that I've developed, right? And it's the Rob and Kira method that allows this, that allows me to produce copy for you that produces more sales, more of this, more of this. And here's why it works. And here's how it works. And here's what makes it wildly different and better than the typical common approach to writing, to writing copy. Now I need that Rob and Kira method. I'm going to, that, that's our next product. We're going to, me start too, selling. me too. And that's really ultimately, right. That's, you know, the, the interesting thing for what it's worth for everybody, right. That's how you, you meaningfully differentiate first and foremost, because right as a prospect, well, I, it's meaningful to me because you're showing me not only a different, but a superior way to get the result I want. You're justifying what separates you from everybody else. You're ultimately positioning your unique methodology against the commodity, right? You're like, if you want regular copywriting, if you want to bang out and like, this is kind of language that I would use. Like if you're looking for regular run of the mill copywriting with a rate, like the headline, that's a dime a dozen. You can find those people out there for, you know, selling stuff for, you know, 80 bucks or whatever, like if that's what you want. But if you're looking for copy that's written with the XYZ methodology, right? There's only one place that you can get it. And that is from me. And the thing that it does, it not only meaningfully differentiates, which is what prospects they want to know right away. What's different about what you're saying, right? So somebody, you know, like somebody says to you, I can give you better results. One of the very first questions in some form or fashion that people have is how? Like you're, of course, you're going to tell me you can produce better results. Everybody says they can produce better results. Nobody comes along and says, I'm going to produce subpar results for you. Not as good as everybody else. Everybody says they can produce better, right? So what prospects immediately want to know is, okay, so what's different? How can you do that? I don't even care if somebody showed up. I, I, I shared this example one time before, like if somebody showed up and they were like, look, I can save you, you know, um, 50 grand on your, on your, on your taxes, I guarantee it. I could save you $50,000 on your annual taxes or whatever the number is. Um, I, I, I guarantee it or you don't pay me anything. Nobody goes into that blindly. Nobody just says, okay, let's roll with it, right? What do people say? How? Like, is it legal? Is it legit? Like, how? What do you mean? How do you do it? Give me a little taste. Give me something. Right. Like if they say, oh, we're going to we're going to itemize your deductions. Ah, oh, here we go. Right. Like, yeah, that's what everybody does. Right. Like you get it. And so the point is that one of the very first questions that people want answered today because of how slammed we all are with marketing campaigns and sales messages is what makes yours different? What's different about this than everything else I've heard, tried, done and failed with? 
And so when you're able to answer that and you answer it or you at least tease it up front in the lead, the first 350, 500 words or so, right? What happens is we give prospects this tremendous feeling of hope, hope that, well, maybe this is what I've lacked. Maybe this is it. We have this weird human nature is this, right? We have this belief that for me as well, that could be one little thing. One little thing is the difference maker, right? One thing, this one thing could change everything. It's amazing how even like to me, I know what they're doing. I know what they're doing, right? And I still fall prey to this. I'm like, maybe it is one thing. I don't know. Maybe this is the thing. Maybe I'm missing this. I don't know. Like, it sounds unbelievable. Like, right? Like, we have this weird. So it gives people this feeling of hope. And then, of course, to just wrap this up, uh, uh, that, you know, I said, right? So we interrogate. We identify it. We're, we become clear on the rationale behind why we're doing doing it the way that we're doing it. Like, ultimately, asking the copywriter, like, what do you do? when you write copy for people that you are so confident you can produce results for them. Like tell me, what do you do? Most people, not just copywriters, most, most experts, most information, you know, publishers, most course creators, they've never thought about it. They just kind of accept it. It's like what they do. So they've never dove, they never have uh, dove in and really dissected and understood like, why do I do it this way? What does this trigger? Why don't I do it in a different order? Well, if I did it in a different order, then this wouldn't happen and I wouldn't know X. And so I do it this way because it uncovers LMNOP and blah, 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 blah. When you do that, then you're not only able to say, I have a different and better way to get you the result that you want, but you're then able to explain it. You're able to prove it, right? So the key is not just saying, I have a different and better way. Because anybody can say that. And there are a lot of people that try to say that, right? Like this is a different and better way. And then they never mention again, what makes it different and what makes it better, right? And so they're just hoping like that the sales message is going to, but when you're able to say, I have a different and better way and here's what makes it better. And here's why it's, here's why it's safer. Here's why it produces better results because it leverages the psychology of the, the dopamine and the whatever, right? Here's why. And here's why it works, right? Here's what separates it from the typical copy approach. And so you're able to, and now people say, wow, lo- emotionally, I love it. You're promising me. Now, logically, I get it. Like, I understand, like, right. And, and, and I, I just mean, I don't even mean I understand the full process of the Robin Kira method. No, no, no. I understand that there's something different here. I understand that there is, right, that there's a rationale behind why this is superior to everything else. They don't have to understand the nitty gritty nuances and details, but they need to see from you that, yeah, there's some foundation to your claim that you've got something different and superior. And that for me, really to kind of encapsulate, you know, the E5, if you will, is that's always how I've seen and understood marketing. I think, you know, people ask me like, how did I come to this kind of this different approach of, um, of more of an argument that we're presenting rather than a sales pitch? Well, number one, I told you guys, right? Like I'm not a salesperson. I don't like selling. I'm the worst, right? Like, you know, like I'm not, I'm the worst. You know what I mean? Like I could go, I could pay for an upgrade at the hotel, show up to the hotel and the guy's like, you're in a regular room. And I'm like, all right, (laughs) okay. Sounds good, man. You know, I'm cool with it. Like, let's roll. 
you know, um, my wife, no, me, yes. And so, so some of it was out of necessity, but the truth really is, is that I was very fortunate. I was blessed luck again to spend a lot of time with one foot in the big publishing world with the Agoras, the Motley Fools, and one foot in the internet marketing world. And so I got to see what the internet marketers were doing really well, that really savvy stuff that the Agoras weren't doing. And I got to see what the Agoras were doing that the internet marketing world really wasn't doing. And the truth is that all I did to become the, right, the Todd Brown, whatever that means, is I took the best from the internet marketing world and I brought it over to Agora. And what did they think? Oh my gosh, Todd's a genius. And then I brought the best from the, the Agora world and I brought it over to the, the internet marketing world. And what did they say? He's a genius. <laughs> Meanwhile, it was just realizing like, this is what they're lacking. This is what they're lacking. And so a big part of that, all kidding aside, a big part of that was seeing that that side, the financial, the Agoras were creating campaigns wildly different than what was happening on the internet market. The internet marketing side, they were creating sales funnels. The on the on this side, they were creating marketing funnels. And that's different. They were talking about the 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 the, the benefits, the offer, what makes this a great product. They were designing a message that led you to want the product before they even talked to you about the product. And so that's, I saw that. And over time, as I was exposed to more and more of these campaigns, I'm like, man, some of their campaigns, most of their campaigns were so valuable in their education, in their information, in the insights that they gave, in the training that they gave. But underneath that, Right. It was all very strategic because they were establishing beliefs and, and, and an understanding that was conducive to me wanting the product. They weren't just educating for education's sake or teaching for teaching's sake or showing how they were doing it, but they were doing it under this umbrella of what today I consider to be a, a marketing argument. They were putting forth a premise here as a new and different way for you to get the result that they want. Right now is the perfect time for you to be using this new and different way. Here's why. Here's what separates this new and different way. Here's what you can expect from this new and different way. Here's what where this new and different way is completely on a different level from the ordinary process, educating teaching, right? Informing, giving you ahas, but all leading you to just be like, dang, I want that new thing. I want that Robin Kira method. That's the, that's the answer. That's no wonder why I failed, right? Like no wonder now I get it. This is the answer. And so I saw that and I fell in love with it. I have fell in love with it because it's not, it's the antithesis of pure selling. It sets up the sale for you. It meaningfully differentiates. Um, and it's fun. So Todd, we are, we're out of, we hit our hour already. Do you have time it. for a couple more questions? I do. I do for sure. Um, for sure. I'm going to do a lightning round, Rob, just like. There's no lightning. Here. Who are you kidding me? I was going to say it's what, a nightmare. It's a and, cluster. And Kira also doesn't ask questions that can be answered. They're in not lightning words on It's lightning a cluster. Round, so, it's all yeah, my fault. I take full responsibility. Yeah. We, we've got to have a part two, three and, you know, through seven. Some of, these are me, true, like, some of these are true lightning round questions. So I'm going to try okay. to make sure they're not in depth. Let's do but, it. Okay. Favorite song when you're like, I need to get motivated, pumped up, inspired. Do you have a go-to song? 
the Todd Brown walk or musician. Song. Yeah. What's on your playlist? Oh my gosh. I have such a diverse, like I have from uh, Neil Diamond to Black Sabbath to Kanye West to uh, you name it to Christian music, like you name it. I have. So it really depends on the mood that I'm in. Like, I will say that um, I, when I, when I like want to get pumped up, I typically like more aggressive music. So maybe something like a little bit more metal, like I might put on a Metallica or something like that. Um, when I'm writing, I like techno, something that just has a beat that it's just relentless. Um, so it really, it really depends, but I have, I, I just love such, so like, I, 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 you name it. I probably have it on my playlist, like Britney Spears, all Britney Spears (laughs) could go from Britney Spears to like Pantera to like Led Zeppelin to like, you know, new kids on the block or some bizarre thing. And so way to not answer the question, Todd, that was really, (laughs) I did. I skirted skirted it. I skirted the question. Okay, So what do you do when you're not working? Like what is happening that we will never see? We will never see it because it's not on Instagram. It's just like hobbies, pastimes. um, Um, I would say probably watching some reality show with my wife and my older daughter who's commuting to to school. So we watch the the most, you know, the trashiest of reality shows, Big Brother, you know, yelling at the screen, um, talking about it later. Um, And so that uh, when I'm when I'm with them, we, you know, during the week, like a regular week that uh, I'm probably at some point getting reprimanded for leaving something, you know, seven books on the kitchen table or seven (laughs) books on my nightstand, different seven than the ones on the kitchen table. And so um, there's that. And then I, I like to read. You know, like I like to read. I'm very, you know, I'm, I'm introverted. I love that alone time. I mean, I, my family, my wife is my greatest blessing and I love to, to be there, but I love alone time. So reading, reading or watching trashy reality TV. <laughs> they compliment each other. Okay. Then as a follow-up, any um, books you're reading right now, or you're like, I, you've got to read this book or you've read in the last month. Or so, so. Uh, so I'm going to, I'll pull the one that's closest to me. So, uh, so this book Mm. Write useful books. Yeah, this is a great. If you look at this, I'm going to show you this. This is a great. I mean, this thing is highlighted out the wazoo. I think almost every page is highlighted on uh, on here. Write useful books. It's a short little paperback. It's like 135 pages. You could read this thing in one sitting. The reason why I like this um, is because it not only applies to writing books, obviously, um, but I really believe that this applies to content and even copywriting. And, and one of the things that he talks about that he alludes to is really this idea of, of um, he doesn't say it this way. This is my, the way that I would say it, but he talks about the, the rate, the rate of revelation, how quickly you are, you're getting to the gist and how fast you move to the next aha, the next point of, you know, of discovery. And he talks about in here, this idea of like, forget what he calls it, like page, page value, right? Like, and how many pages out of your book have, or give a new revelation to the, to the reader. And so he talks about right the speed of, of getting, getting to the gist, the speed at which you kind of get to the, the, to the next point and how many points are in there. 
And while I think that the bulk of that applies to books and content, videos, things like that, I also think that there's a lot of value when it comes to um, to copy. As we know, a lot of people, you know, they meander, they kind of have that ramp up at the start where you're kind of you're building up. And I think today, more so than ever before, people like they don't have a whole lot of time. They, they're not they don't they don't give you the amount of time that they used to. So now mm. you've got, you know, like you, you've got mere seconds to hook me in. If I read two lines and I'm like, this is nonsense, I'm out. And so you really got to you know, makes the lead that much more important in a campaign like that. You're you're hooking them and you're hooking them right away and you're hooking them with force. Um, but also we've got to remember that the, the difference between I use that analogy of hooking the, you know, hooking the, the, the fish, but it's a little different because here, while we hook them at any point, the prospect can bail, can spit the hook out, so to speak, and bail. And so we have to constantly be moving to the next the next, the next, and be very careful that we're not going on this very circuitous path because they won't, they won't tolerate it. And so, yeah, good book. Well worth reading. Okay. And um, Rob, I got two more lightning rounds. If you want, if you have any, you can jump in. Otherwise I'm going to hog the lightning round. Um, business lesson, life lesson from your raising your two daughters. Oh, Wow. <laughs> That is that's not a lightning a, round. Guys, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> that's an awful Fury, lightning round question. Killing me here. Yeah. Um, Mike, the meaning of life. Um, <laughs> I I think I, you know, from raising my daughters, um, I would say I'm not sure if this is, you know, this is just something that's really kind of near and dear to my heart, near and dear to my heart with my girls. Um, something that I kind of wish that uh I embraced um, much early on. Uh, but I believe that be true to who you are, like be true to who you are, your authentic self warts and all like, don't succumb to external pressure to um, fit a certain mold, but live out your authenticity, whatever that means. I, I, I tell my kids like, I may have aspirations for them, you know, like I would love for them to be entrepreneurs, right? Like, you know, they, they don't want to have it. They have no interest in that, like none whatsoever. I tell them you pursue what it is that you're passionate about. You enjoy the hobbies that you love, regardless of, the, I don't care if they're out of the mold, if they seem bizarre, dress however you, you want to dress, as long as it's not, you know, like be, respect yourself, you know, um, uh, be you, be you, be real. Don't walk around with a mask. Don't, you know, don't be somebody that tries to please other people. I'm not saying don't be gracious and hospitable and loving and caring. Of course, like I try to, we've tried to instill that in our kids from the very beginning, but don't cave to um, just be you and be real and be true because it is a monkey on your back that is heavy when you are walking around with a mask or when you're faking it because you feel like you need to be a certain way and say a certain thing, like, you know, for me in business, there are things that, you know, in this weird world, in this weird marketplace that we operate in that I'm just, I'm not willing to do and I'm not willing to say, and I don't care. I'll close the company before I do like before I, before I disrespect what it is that I stand for. I'm not willing to do it. I won't do it. And so I believe that, you know, the, the business side of things, 
I believe that you you can. I've been like I've been this way. I've operated this way or tried to operate this way for many years. I would say that by most measures, I've achieved some reasonable success. Um, have there been moments where I could have made a lot more money by being willing to say certain things or do certain things? Absolutely. Without question. But that's OK, because there's nothing to me that is more precious than being fully honest, transparent with who you are authentically. And you'll find people love you and people will not love you no matter what you try to present. And so might as well present who you really are and be true to who you really are to the core at all times and let the chips fall where they may. Good lesson for kids. Good lesson for business yeah. owners too. Yeah. Yes. Okay. In the last lightning round question, what are you most excited about in your business right now? Top one. So top one, just because, you know, first, you know, top one is, is obviously, as you guys know, is our, is our mastermind and private client group. And for me, I'm, I'm, I'm most excited about that because I get to be around amazing people um, that I enjoy. Right. So uh, I have a lot of opportunities to be around a lot of people and sometimes not so pleasurable being around some people, but I love our top one group. I think that we've done a great job of being selective of who, you know, we, we bring in there. Um, I also, it's an honor for me to get to be part of the group. You know, I, I talk about it as it's a mastermind that I'm a member of. I just happen to host it. And so um, to see good people doing good things and caring about what they're doing, whether, you know, caring about their people, caring about their business, caring about their reputation, caring about putting out good products, caring about, you know, doing, uh, running a good business for employees and team members. Yeah. To me, that's amazing. And, uh, and so that's the thing that I'm most excited about. Awesome. So Todd, before we go, one of the reasons we brought you in now this week is because we're helping you promote something that you've put together that's kind of unique. Um, you know, there are there are swipe files out there, but there aren't any anything like what you have put together right now. So tell us about uh this this cool thing that you've put together. And we'll share a link to it. So if anybody's interested, you know, they can they can get a hold of it. But the genesis of it. And, and the different parts of this offer that you're making. Yeah. So the gen, I'll keep this very, very simple. Uh, the, the, so what we're talking about is we're talking about a, a what we call the decade plus swipe file. So this sounds, uh, this is actually going to sound terrible. Uh, maybe goes back to the trashy reality TV that uh, I watch. Uh, but for probably, I think like 13 years, I saved every single direct mail piece that I received from direct response marketers. So once I started, once I was on, you know, a ton of lists of quality um, marketers and companies, I began to save every piece they sent out. So the Dan Kennedy, the Jay Abraham, the Frank Kern, the Russell Brunson, the Agoras, the you name it. Um, every time they would send out a direct mail piece, whether it was a postcard, a long form sales letter, a magalog, a bookalog, whether it was promoting an offer or an event or a webinar or a product or a sale or, or an affiliate promotion or something like that, I saved it. And at the beginning, when I was saving it, I was I obviously read every piece as they as they came in, and then I 
it became where I wasn't doing a whole lot with it because it was becoming unwieldy. Like I had this, I had these cases in my garage of just swipes. Like, and my wife is obviously like, you know, ready to kill me for this, these, you know, things. And so what I decided to do was I decided to finally, um, I decided to finally turn this into a, an organized, complete swipe file, a physical, physical swipe file. And so I took a member of our team, dedicated her for something like six weeks just to this project. I spent an arm and a leg to ship everything to her. She took this month and a half and digitized everything. And then we organized it and it became this something. It's something like 4,500 pages, give or take. Um, uh so big. I mean that the, what it costs us to print them is, is nauseating. Um, but it is unique in that the thing that was really special about this swipe file to me is that it's all it's direct mail. It's marketing pieces that people paid to send out to prospects. It's very different from the typical online swipe file. There are swipe files that are filled with campaigns that we don't know how well the campaigns did. Anybody can put up a website at any point in time, but this is all direct mail, the stuff that people paid to send. And so certainly the, 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 the marketers invested, the investment that you make into a piece that you're paying to send is a bit different than a piece maybe that you're putting online. The other thing was that it covers the gamut of it. There's every kind of promotion that you can think of in here from low ticket, mid ticket, high ticket, live events, virtual events, products, services, uh, upsells, like add-ons, you name it. It's, it's all in here. And almost every type of format that you can think of direct mail wise from letters, magalogs, bookalogs, oversized postcards, small postcards, catalogs, um, you name it. The, the, the really cool part about this and the real value of this, not just that it comes from the best mailers, the best direct response marketers on the planet, not just that it's 10 years and it covers all this stuff. That's all wildly valuable. But the beauty is being able to see the repetition over time from some, some of the, the, the marketers in terms of specific chunks of copy. So to be able to see, for example, the guarantee structure that, let's say, Dan Kennedy used over and over for certain years, right, or the type of lead that he used, let's say, to promote one of the conferences over and over for years, the assets that he included that you can see the repetition where you know that it, it worked, therefore they're doing it again. So the ability to see over, to see uh, like I said, the marketing that the, the great marketers put out that they paid to put out and to see over that period of time for all of these different categories, what chunks of copy and chunks of messaging they did over and over and over makes it insanely, insanely valuable. And so we've got, we decided to, to take the plunge, pay an arm and a leg to have 250 copies of this bad boy made and ship to our fulfillment house. Um, and there's a whole bunch of amazing bonuses that I won't even go through in here, a whole bunch of cool things with this, but the 250 uh, are, uh, are up for grabs. 
once the 250 are gone, they're gone. I have no idea if any point in the future we'll have more printed. I don't believe that we will, certainly not anytime soon, but there are 250 and this will be a resource that uh, is incredible. I have it, you know, just two of the two of the binders on my uh, on my desk here. And so, yeah, that's the decade plus swipe file. Really cool. And we've we've thumbed through it. I've used it the, the one other time that you printed it. We got a copy and yep. I've used it you know, as a reference, as I've written sales letters for clients, I know Kira has used it writing a sales letter for something we did in the copywriter club. It It's a pretty good resource. It's not the kind of thing, if you write blog posts, this is probably not right. the thing that you're going to invest in. But if you're writing sales pages, whether it's hard copy, mail, or online, probably also, you know, if you're doing multi-step email campaigns, yeah. this could be really useful as well. I think if that's the kind of thing that you're writing it, to me, this feels like an incredibly valuable resource. If, like I said, if you're just writing blog posts and and that kind of stuff, probably the thing to pass up on, unless yeah. of course you want to become the sales page writer or whatever, then, then maybe it's a good resource, but um, yeah. Who else, who else would benefit from that, Todd? I mean, look, I, I really think if you're creating any kind of direct response marketing asset at all, it don't it doesn't matter what it is, a, a lead gen page, a sales page, a webinar registration page, a live conference, a virtual conference. Um, and you're you, if you're creating any kind of direct response marketing piece at all, this is it's it's priceless. You're gonna have access to marketing assets that the overwhelming majority of the market have never seen and will never see. Again, the stuff that the best marketers paid to send out. And so there are, you know, campaigns and letters in here from again, the, you know, the 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 Kearns, the Caleb O'Dowds, the Russell Brunson, the that um that you've never seen online that are just dialed uh, that you can learn from and use for any type of marketing asset that you're creating, whether it is offline or online. And so I, I obviously think it's precious and um, 13 years to put this bad boy together, 13 years of collection and, uh, and, and whatnot. And so it's, it's, uh, it's super cool. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably going to want to make sure that you've got a couple of inches of spare space on your bookshelf. Most it is, definitely, it is not a small yeah. resource. It is beefy. Pretty, so there are there are amazing. you know there are there are five of these. So the, each one of these is is eight hundred is eight hundred around eight hundred pages. Each one of these, and there are five of these, and they're divided into. There's like the best of Dan Kennedy, and then there's the top marketers, and yeah, this is super, super cool, super valuable, and uh, an endless supply of ideas and copy chunks to model and swipe and use. You certainly will never lack for ideas when you got this bad boy, and so yeah. yeah. All right. And anyone listening, if they're interested, you can jump over to our show notes. We'll have a link so you can jump on the wait list and hear more about the swipe file when it, when it comes out and grab your copy of the swipe file before they're all gone. Um, so Todd, we got to ask most of our questions today, not all of them, but we'll just have to wait and cool. we appreciate your time and everything you shared with us so much. And everything awesome. you've given to us. Let's make sure business. that we we get. Let's make sure that we get that little extra special that you know we could do like a special workshop with you know your your copywriters 
on their, you know, unique mechanism and workshop it, not, you know, like workshop it and work with them and help them to really go through that, that process. I think that that would be really valuable. And I think that that's the key for them to really start to get on that path to build their business and separate themselves from, from everybody else. And so, uh, and it was great as always love talking to you guys. If anyone listening wants to connect with you or just check you out, like where could they go to just say hi or at least get Uh, on your list? They could go to, uh, you go to toddbrown.me, toddbrown.me. It's probably the best spot. I check me out on Instagram, Todd Brown. I'm on on there sometimes once every seven months I post on there. (laughs) (laughs) It is definitely worthwhile being on your list, Todd, because I I mean, I'm on your list with under a couple of different emails because I want to see the member stuff. I want to see the new person stuff and just the campaigns that your team sends out. They're brilliant. They are. There's so much smart stuff that's happening. Even if somebody doesn't ever buy a thing from you, they could learn a lot just from reading the email, seeing the sales so pages, it's, seeing it's the your f- Now I realize why our metrics are always. Yeah, I'm the reason. I'm the problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. I appreciate you guys deeply. And I'm so looking forward to seeing you guys. Awesome. Sounds good. See you soon. Thank you, Thanks, Todd. Todd. Bye. You got it. All right, guys. That's the end of our interview with Todd Brown. So good. So, 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 so good. Rob. Uh, what what stood out to you? Well, I think I'd be remiss not to start with just the whole idea around meaningful differentiation. Obviously, that is the thing that makes clients choose us as copywriters, or we can use this information, of course, for our clients, you know, choose their customers, choosing them as the expert in whatever it is that they do. And just to re-echo a couple of things that Todd taught, some things that you and I have talked about a bit in the past as well. A lot of people talk about that USB, how important it is to have this unique selling proposition or unique value proposition and that thing that you do differently. But as Todd pointed out, it's so rare that we actually see those anymore. And if there is one, if you have one, it's probably going to be copied by your competition, by other people in your industry or your your niche, whatever, within a few months, if not even faster. In fact, sometimes, at least in the SaaS space, somebody will come up with something to add to a piece of software and their competitors will hear about it and actually add it to their software before the person who actually came up with the idea can do it. Like that's how fast the world is iterating and improving. And so having a USP, not really something that uh, we can do that easily or that it's that defensible. And so thinking about unique mechanisms, the how behind what we do, whether it's a framework, a system, a process, whatever, I really loved as, as Todd was talking through that idea of interrogating your process, really figuring out what it is that you do differently. What are the nuances in how you serve your clients? And then name it and talk about why it's better. And of all of those things, a lot of us get focused on the name, you know, like I got to find the right acronym or whatever. The name is the least important part. All of the other parts being the differentiation, how you talk about it, why it's better, much more important than the name. The name just gives us that hook to, um, to think about or to share, but this is probably worth backing up the, you know, the iPod or whatever you're listening to the podcast on and listening to Todd talk about this again, maybe two times, three times, because if we can nail this, we will always have clients. We'll always have great projects to work on. Yeah. And yeah, the name doesn't matter as much, but I still like a really good name. So, and we're copywriters. So if we can't come up with a good name, like, come on, 
this is what we do. Um, but you know, you and I talk about frameworks so frequently that some of the copywriters we hang out with make fun of us um, playfully because we're like, you need a framework, you need a framework. And I think listening to Todd talk about the unique mechanism, I think at least for me, what I've been saying all along by saying you need a framework is really you need a unique mechanism. And I think I need to really clear up my language when I'm talking about it moving forward because um, it's not just the framework, it's it's the unique mechanism and really understanding what you're doing differently and having understanding the why behind it and everything that Todd talked about. And that's something that every copywriter needs. Like we all need it. Maybe we don't need, um, you know, like you said, the perfect name, but we need to understand what we're doing differently and be able to communicate it clearly. Um, so yeah, I'm glad you touched on that. And that's something that will make or break a business as a copywriter. And the cool thing is everyone does have their own spin. I mean, as copywriters, yeah, there's a lot of things that we all do in a similar way, um, but there's always something that's unique to you. And so like Todd said, the interrogation process is really important where you slow down enough to reflect and to walk through your own process and to think about what's happening every step of the way. All those little details matter. And you can even like, if you aren't finding something that you feel like helps you stand out enough, you can also like reverse engineer some of that and figure out ways that you can do things differently. So this is such a great opportunity for us. And it's, it's really fun. I, I love thinking about unique mechanisms and um, talking about it with copywriters. So this is an opportunity for us to really stand out. Yeah, it's something that we go a lot deeper in in the programs that we run, the accelerator, the think tank, and helping people figure that out, whether it's part of a framework or a unique mechanism or some other iteration of that. Um, but it is it's a lot of fun to work on those and to help copywriters figure out how they can stand out from everyone else that's out there. One other thing that really stood out to me, and this wasn't something that Todd said, but it's something that he did as we were talking to him. So um, you asked him, I think, about writing a, a book recommendation. And he recommended the book, Write Useful Books by Rob Fitzpatrick. He also wrote The Mom Test, which is um, all about like how do you test out an idea if you've got a product ready to launch. And But one of the things I noticed is I was listening back to Todd do this is that he starts talking about the book, but he what he was really doing beyond just saying, hey, this is what the book is about, he started talking about how the what he was learning from the book applied not just to writing a book, but to copywriting across the board for sales copy, the the challenges that we face when we're you know creating content for our clients or our customers or writing sales pages for them are the same challenges that we have when writing books. And it just, it's kind of like a window into the way Todd's brain works, where he's always seeing like, oh, here's an idea and here's how it applies across all of the different things that I do. And it's one of the things that I think that's why Todd is so good at what he does. Um, you know, he's, he's a master at mastery and maybe that's why I admire him so much. Yeah. And, and related to that, he talked about how he, he, he this were not his words, but he is successful because he's brought over the best from the internet marketing world to the Agora, you know, direct response world. And they thought he was a genius. And then he did the exact opposite, right? He brought the best of Agora over to internet marketing world and they thought he was a genius. So he's, he has his foot in multiple worlds and is, 
becoming a master in multiple worlds so he can draw those connections, which I think is what true creatives do. And that's what sets him apart. And and we all have the opportunity to do that. And I think that's where it's not just about mastery and copywriting. It's about mastery in copywriting and in other worlds and that you're interested in, that you're motivated to learn about and dive really deep into. Um, but I think those connections where it overlaps and where you can connect the best of one world to the best of another world and draw those connections can really set you apart and um, and help you see differently, see the world differently and see marketing and copywriting differently. So um, that's definitely something that's just, you know, inspiring to me to do more of that. Yeah. I mean, you say we have the opportunity to do it. I actually say we have the obligation to do it. This is one reason why niching is so important because we can take what we learn in the marketing field or in our copywriting world and apply it to a specific industry or niche that's never seen this marketing stuff before. At least, you know, some of them haven't. Right. And then if you're, if you've got this broad expertise across a niche and you start seeing some of the things that they're doing, whether it's marketing or product development or something else, you can take that back to the copywriting world and share it there. So there, you know, the back and forth isn't something that Todd only does. It's something that all of us should be doing. We also asked Todd about advice for his daughters. And I I loved his answer, you know, especially for girls, for women, for many of us about being authentic and not wearing a mask. And so I think this is something that came up in another interview recently, too, about wearing masks and how frequently we feel like we need to put on a mask. And I can only speak from my experience as a woman, but I feel like I'm constantly wearing a different mask. And so that was a really powerful message for us because while masks are fun to wear at Halloween, they are not fun to wear every day of your life. And so this is an ongoing struggle for many of us. And I'm glad that he addressed it and his advice for his daughters. Yeah, you love a good mask. So uh, that's when I want to wear a mask, I love yeah for holidays and parties, but not for my day to day living. I don't want to wear a mask then. Yeah, I thought that was a great, good advice. Again, not just for kids, but for business owners and how we show up in our businesses. And it was fun to hear at the very end that Todd is most excited about top one, especially for us as members of uh, his top one mastermind. And the cool part was the way that he said, you know, he feels honored, again, not his words, but to be not only the host, but a member and to be able to learn from everyone else in that mastermind. And that spoke to me because I feel the same way in our think tank mastermind where I I feel so um, grateful to be a host in the think tank. And I feel even more grateful to be a member of it because I get to learn from all the smart people in the room. And so um, I think that's just one of the benefits of leading a mastermind, being part of a mastermind. So it was cool to hear him say something similar. Yeah, I thought the exact same thing. I love our think tank. I love being in that group. You know, everybody there brings so many good ideas to the table. It's just, it's cool to learn from from Lander, from Brian, or from Aaron, or from Isaiah, or, or whoever is talking and sharing what they're doing in their business. It's always just so enlightening. And everybody does it a little bit differently. Everybody can learn from the others. And uh, I think, you know, being able to be a part of that group, like the think tank and being able to not just share, but to learn from others is, uh, it's almost like a cheat code that, you know, helps you jump a, a level or two in this game that we're all playing. 
All right, we want to thank the Todd Brown. I'm just going to keep saying the Todd Brown because I like it, um, for joining us on the podcast today. If you want to connect with Todd, you can find him at toddbrown.me, M-E, which we'll link to in the show notes. If you want to listen to a little bit more, you're not tired of Rob and Kira yet. Hard to imagine. Uh, but maybe yeah, out it's there. hard to imagine you would grow tired of us, but I've heard people do grow tired of us. So um, we recently, the two of us recently had an interview. Roy Fur interviewed us on his video podcast. We had a ton of fun talking with Roy and we can link to that episode in the show notes if you want to check it out. And going way back in time, way back, like to what year, Rob? I think it was 2017. So five 2017. years ago. Lifetime ago, we talked to Roy on our podcast. So if you want to listen to our interview with him, that was episode 24, which we'll link to in the show notes. So you can hear Roy interview us, and then you can interview, you can hear us interview him. Yeah, that's a really good interview. Uh, what Roy shared on our podcast was fantastic. And that's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. I don't think we thank those guys enough, but uh, the fun music that they've created for us, we really appreciate it. If you've enjoyed what you heard, please visit Apple Podcasts and leave a review of this show. And if you want to find out more about the five-volume printed swipe file that Todd is offering right now, we'll link to that information page in the show notes. I've got it sitting here next to my desk as well. It's definitely worth checking out if you write sales pages. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club yeah, can make you lots of money. Listen to it. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club. <laughs>